Hello, and welcome to Simple Pursuit, the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our prayer that you will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will be blessed and challenged as you listen in. Grab your Bible, because here is today's teaching. Take your Bible and open to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. If you're following along the uh, reading plan for this year and through the New Testament, uh, for the next week or so, you'll be in the Gospel of Mark, and so we'll have a couple of sermons from this great uh, Gospel, um, and then we'll continue forward with what comes next. But today and next Sunday, for sure, we will be in this amazing little gospel. I call it the little gospel because it's the shortest of the four, but it's, uh, that doesn't mean it's less an impact. Mark chapter four, we'll be in uh, verse 21 through 34. There was a, uh, a gentleman who had to go to his doctor, and upon the doctor entering the room, that patient's complaint was that his wife was going deaf. Doc, I ask her what we're having for dinner, and she doesn't answer me. Well, bring her in. I'll, I'll examine her and see what's going on. So the man brought his wife in. She'd been waiting out in the waiting room, so she came in. The doctor had her stand 50 feet down the hallway. He looked at the man, and he said, go ahead and ask her what's for dinner. Hey, honey, what's for dinner? Well, the doctor had the woman stand 40 feet away. Ask her again. Honey, I said, what's for dinner? After going through the routine several times, the doctor finally had her stand five feet away. Honey, for the sixth time, I said, what's for dinner? And the wife looked at the doctor and then back at her husband. And for the sixth time, I said, spaghetti. The man thought his wife had a hearing problem, and it was not his wife with the hearing problem. He was the one with the problem. And sometimes we can be so sure of ourselves, so sure of something, that we are hearing or not hearing that the real message does not get through. But friends, hearing involves more than just ears. It also involves an act of the will and obedience. Real hearing involves taking action on what you've heard. And in our text this morning, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God through parables. He wanted them to understand, as well as us today, that it's not just about hearing physically, but also that what we hear calls us to take action when necessary. Mark chapter 4 these three parables we're going to walk through this morning, all taught by Jesus, focus on aspects of the kingdom of God. Not every aspect of the kingdom of God is covered by one parable. Often the parable would cover just one truth of the kingdom of God and not all. Let's remind ourselves what, a, what is a parable. A parable is a story or it's a saying that will illustrate a truth by comparison, by hyperbole, or we call it simile can be a model, such as the sower and the seeds. It can be an analogy. It can be an example. There's much to learn from the parables. And so when we look at these three, the kingdom of God is guaranteed to grow 
by the power of God until the kingdom of God reaches every tribe, every people, every nation on this earth. And so as the church, we must listen to Christ Jesus and respond to him in faith, leading to obedience. Jesus teaches us first about the lamp. Look at verses 21 through 25. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. Father, that you would guard my mouth, and Father, that um, you would help us to hear the truth and not just hear it and learn knowledge today, but to apply what your word is teaching us. Father, we are grateful for the gospel of Mark. He is very much, Lord, to the point, pointing us to Jesus, and I thank you for that. I thank you for this gift of your word and the gift of the spirit that helps us understand and helps us to learn. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's talk about the lamp for a moment. The lamp is kind of a summary of what Jesus came to do and who he was. In Mark's gospel, though it's not translated this way, most likely they say it's because Matthew and Luke don't have this definite article in front of lamp, but Mark does. And so literally it would read, is the lamp or does the lamp, not a lamp, just referring to some lamp, but he's specifically talking about a specific lamp, which if we interpret it that way, that definitely points us to Jesus. Does the lamp come in in order to put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? So without that little article there pointing us to the lamp, we could miss what Jesus is saying, although we could go to the other two Gospels and see that those Gospels relate this lesson and this truth as well. But it, helps, it helped me to see exactly what Jesus was pointing to. He's pointing to this lamp. It's not just any old lamp. It's, it's not what is the lamp, what is it made out of, what is its function, but rather who. Who is the lamp? Who is he referring to? Who is Jesus talking about? See, in the Old Testament, that lamp was a light. It illuminates our, our pathway. It is his word. It is a lamp unto our feet, right? A light to guide our path. That's God's word. But here, he's not talking about that lamp. He is referring to the light that came into the world when Emmanuel, God with us, became reality. He's referring to himself. Would the lamp come and be hidden under a basket under a bed and not on a stand. Does anybody else just want to raise your little finger up right now and see this little light of mine? I mean, seriously, I've been doing it all week long as I keep reading over that, but I'm not going to do it for you this morning. I don't want to embarrass myself because I have done that before on that song and totally made a fool of myself and I learned my lesson that time. 
But what he is saying here is that he didn't come to be hidden. Jesus didn't come to do what he did and to be hidden. And he didn't die on the cross, come back to life on the third day, be raised from the dead on the third day, ascend back to his father's side for the church to keep him hidden. He didn't come to be hidden. Listen to what John's gospel says. Twice in the first chapter of John, chapter 8 and chapter 12, listen to what John captures. John chapter 1, verse 4. In him, that is the word that became flesh, John chapter 1, in him, that is Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. John 1 carries with it that connection back to Genesis, back to the creation narrative. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So this Jesus, as the light, he brought purity, he brought knowledge, he brought the light that shows the very presence of God amongst his people. The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. Verse 9 of John chapter 1. The true light, again referring to Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here, Jesus fulfills an Old Testament promise of the coming of the light of salvation and the light of God. John chapter 12, verse 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. The light shined into the darkness, and yet the darkness didn't overcome it. The darkness didn't comprehend it. But this light has come. Does the lamp, is the lamp brought in to be put under a basket? Is he here to be hidden? So the question now becomes, how do you and I respond to this light? How do we respond to this lamp? The very thought of putting a lamp under a basket or a bed is ridiculous because it's not talking about a light bulb. They didn't have that back then, right? It's a little bitty uh, clay pot of sorts, uh, uh, of some kind that would fit depending on what size it was, but most of the ones I've seen would fit in the palm of your hand, and it was just used. It was filled with oil. It had some kind of little wick sticking out the end of it. You think of the shape of a genie's lamp or something like that, but that's not what it was. But it would just sit, and it would sit in the middle of the room so that it would give off light. There might be several of them. You would not stick an open flame under a bed. I I mean, if you do that, that's your business. I hope you got good insurance, right? But that's not what you do. You don't stick it under a basket. Why? Because they didn't have any light. It's the only source of light they had at night. If they were outside, maybe a campfire or a torch, but inside, that's all they would have. And so why would you, in darkness, hide the light? No one could be able to see. And here we have the light of the world asking this very important question. Why would you hide it? No, you would stick it in a very special place, out in the open, for all to use its light, for all to be able to see. That light, for a moment, might be hidden, but eventually the whole world would see the light of Christ. The world has tried time and time again, my friends, to snuff out that light. 
to lick their fingers and squeeze that wick and shut that light down. But you know, if you go back in history, every single time the world has failed. The darkness has not overcome it. The darkness will not overcome it. Friends, we live in a world that prefers darkness to light. No wonder when we watch the news and we see what's going on all around us, not just in Texas, but all over the world, in all the points where there is darkness. When we look and we see what is happening, that the world prefers to walk down a dark path. They prefer to live in darkness. They don't want the light to shine on them. Why? Because they know they're living in darkness and they know their sin. They know it. But they choose to walk in darkness. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? Did they just keep walking around and living as normal? They had never been taught sin. They had never been taught on the consequences of sin. But when it happened, what did they do? They ran and did what? They hid. Why? Because they wanted to be in darkness. They didn't want the light of God's presence shining on the fact that they sinned against God. They didn't know what was going to happen. But they knew that they had sinned. We don't want the light to expose us. We want some kind of barrier between us and the light. The light shines in the darkness, John says, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not understood it. But it is impossible to quench the light of the world. Friends, Christ came to shine. Look at verse 22. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. When Jesus is teaching this, it's not time yet for him to take his kingdom. It's not time yet for that light to fully shine, but it's starting to come. By the time he's on the cross, it's there. By the time he ascends back into heaven after the resurrection, it is there. The light is shining. When the gospel, when the disciples preach the gospel in the book of Acts chapter two, for the very first time, the light is being shined by the church now, reflecting the glory of God through Christ. They are, and now we are to shine that light as well. But it's all in God's timing, the right time, the kingdom of God in that time would be revealed. And now we respond by taking that light just as the disciples did, just as John Mark captured this gospel for us to read today, just as Peter would preach, as Paul would travel in the missionary journeys that he went on, planting churches and discipling churches, raising up young Timothy and Silas and and partnering with Barnabas in the missionary journey. It's our time to share that light with those who are in darkness. But if we hide it, if we keep the glory of God through Christ Jesus, if we keep it hidden, we misuse it. We misuse it. It's the calling of the church in every generation, every pastor, every deacon, every teacher, every Christian that sits in a chair or a pew on Sunday morning to take up that lamp and set the basket aside and put that light in a prominent place for people to see that light, not to see you, but to see Christ. For nothing is kept secret, but that secret is this, that the kingdom of God had come in person. That's the secret. That's the mystery Jesus is talking about. That's the secret. That the kingdom of God had come in person. That the word of God had become flesh and was dwelling amongst them. He had come in in person. And he had come with words of truth, speaking the word. And he had come to work. 
And so you have the kingdom of God in person, in, in his words, and in the work of Christ, culminating in his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his return. How important it is, just like in the parable, friends, that we respond to set the light of Christ so the dying world around us will see his light. And then he says in verse 23, if you have ears to hear, listen carefully. He's saying, are you listening? Are you paying attention to what I'm saying? There are two sides to this listening gig, which he talks about in verse 24. Pay attention. You'll hear that in all three of these parables. In any parable he teaches, he always says, pay attention. If you have ears to hear, listen to what I'm saying. How important it is to listen. Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from whom... Excuse me, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. If we hide it, we misuse it. If we hide it, we lose it. Spiritual atrophy. Pay attention to what you hear. What follows is vitally important, verses 24 and 25. It's the means of measuring. The means of measuring here is listening, hearing the word. If your hearing is good, rich and receptive to the word, then you respond to God's truth and more truth will follow. The proverb Jesus uses here will point us to those who take the time and energy to hear and listen and respond to his teaching, to his truth, the gospels, his word, and they will receive back their investment more. It's not the pastor who does the measuring, friends. It is God who will measure and God who will add. This reminds me of the parable of the talents. And the parable, it's in the Gospel of Luke of the ten minus. By what you're given, investing that, what you're given is his truth, the word, and investing that and returning it to the master when he returns. That's the goal. And then what does he do? He blesses them with more. Upon his return. But the sluggard, the lazy servant, who didn't do anything but buried it in the ground because he thought he knew his master, ultimately had no knowledge of his master. He didn't know him like he thought he did. So from the sluggard, from the lazy servant, that talent, that mina is removed and they are ushered outside the kingdom. So we are called here to respond to Jesus. That, that response of faith and obedience in that, that's where we find life. Not salvation life, but that ab abundant life. That's where we find God at work. But if we refuse Jesus, if we refuse the word, then you lose what little you might have. It's not all that different than what you read at the beginning of this chapter, which took everything... I wanted to preach that one because everybody knows it so well, but if you go back to the parable of the sower, you remember the sower is casting out seeds. There's four locations where the seed falls. Some seed falls along the path and the birds came and devoured it immediately. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. Immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. 
And when the sun rose and it had scorched it, since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30, 60, 100 fold. Refuse Jesus and refuse his word, you lose what little you might have. The birds come and eat that seed away almost immediately. For some of you, the birds have already eaten the seed this morning and you're tuned out. That's how quick it happens. I posted an article from Desiring God this morning on Facebook about this very parable to watch out for the birds. I would encourage you to go read it. For some, it takes root, but then the thorns of life come and choke it away. The world chokes it away. And what is there because we did not put it to work because there's no depth to the roots and there's no root system at all. There's nothing there. The life is choked out of it. But then there's the one of the good soil. Friends, you see the whole uh, thrust of this is pay attention, listen to what you're hearing and put it to work. The light of the world will not be hidden. And if we continually hide it, Are we really following Jesus? Are we really following? And so when we pray, Lord, we seek your presence. Father, let the walls come down. Let the lost be found by this church, by your glory, by your light. May the church always shine forth the light of Christ. Then we go out of these doors and we do that. We seek his presence and then we go out and let the light shine and show people Jesus. Look at verse 26. He changes from a lamp under a basket to another parable of a seed. The parable of the seed growing. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and it rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, At once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Friend, when we look at the kingdom of God, God will grow it. The lamp calls us to pay attention to what we hear, what we see, look to the light of the world. But this parable says God is going to grow his kingdom. That's the mystery. The mystery is that the farmer throws the seed out on the ground. He wakes up day after day waiting to see if that little seed has sprouted, to see if it's going to grow. But it doesn't happen overnight. That's why Jack and the Beanstalk is a fairy tale. He doesn't know how it happens. It's a mystery. So too is the kingdom of God and how he will grow his kingdom. But here the word of God is the seed. And in it is the power of its own success and triumph brought about by God. That secretly growing seed, that mysterious power, causes growth apart from our human intervention in this parable. Let the word loose, my friends. Let the word loose and watch it work, is what God calls us to. Sometimes I get the feeling we don't use the the Bible much, or we we don't understand it, or whatever, or, or we try to defend it, and we get lost in our arguments, or we do the same with the gospel. And so because we don't understand it or whatever, we just we don't use it at all. But friends, this is the great mystery. It is the work of God. And to borrow a phrase from Charles Spurgeon, let the lion out. Let him do his work. Here's what I mean by that. If we 
were standing around a lion cage, and that lion was special to us, and there were intruders coming to try to hurt our lion. Would we really, would we really take up arms and defend the lion, or would you just let the lion out of its cage and let him do his work? You let the lion out of the cage and let him do its work. Same with the word of God. Same with the kingdom of God. It is him that is going to cause it to work. Kingdom sowing, kingdom growing, kingdom harvesting from beginning to end. This is the sovereignty of God in Christ Jesus. It is the power of the word of God to stand as absolute authority. Now, this point of this parable is not that man has no role to play. It's not let go and let God not that. We do have a role to play, right? We have to be faithful. But the point of this parable, teaching one point of the kingdom of God, is that this is God's sovereign purpose and focus here. The mystery speaks to how God comes to reign in a man or woman's heart, how he comes and how he forgives, how he uses that blood to forgive our sins, how he makes us new, taking the dead man who is in his sins or the woman who is in her sins, dead in her spiritual life, changing out that old heart of stone, hardened by sin and hardened by years of rebellion and replaces it with a heart of flesh given by the Spirit of God. Think about that new believer. Think about that new believer. It may not appear at first that much is happening. Right? Some of you parents remember when your children got saved and you think, oh, good, whew, finally they're going to start behaving. And then reality slaps you upside the face and like, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not instantaneous holiness and righteousness. God's got to work that into their little hearts. I mean, in my own life at age eight, when Christ came in and I trusted him, there was much work to be done, and now I stand before you at 45, and I'm still just an old lump of coal. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to sing that one for you either. But I was reminded of the song I learned when I was a child. He's still working on me. Come on, to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be, because he's still working on me. In the mirror of his word, reflections that I see, makes me wonder why he never gave up on me, but he loves me as I am and helps me when I pray. Remember, he's the potter. I'm the clay. Friends, when you look back at this parable, we think of germination. It takes a while. That seed's got to die in order for life to come. It's mysterious. Even the great Pharisee named Nicodemus in John chapter three, when Jesus spoke to him about it, he didn't get it either. But the growth of the kingdom, the growth of that young life in Christ is much like this. Those seeds are spread. And some 2,000 years later, here we sit in Rockport, Fulton, Texas at Coastal Oaks Church and we still have more spreading to do. But eventually the harvest comes. And when it is ripe, at once, Jesus will wield that sickle and the harvest is gathered. But there, there's this great mystery to the growth of the kingdom of God. But there's also certainty to the growth because it is God who will do it. 
It is God who will do the work and God who will cause it to grow. Right? This is what Paul says to the church in Corinth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So Jesus started with a group of 12 fishermen, tax collectors and some others. Ordinary men, uneducated really in the ways of the law and of Jewish life. And yet, here is the church thousands of years later, a worldwide endeavor. And it won't stop until every tribe and nation and people group on the planet is in the kingdom of God. Friends, God will see that his kingdom grows. God will see it happen. Finally, we look at the last parable in 30 through 34. We look at the seed. The seed growing. Now we're talking about the mustard seed. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of a mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Here is that initial kingdom and the ultimate kingdom. The initial kingdom is the seed. The ultimate kingdom is the tree. From the tiny mustard seed from beginning to end, from the tiny mustard seed to the final grown tree, the end result is where our focus is turned. From beginning to end, the emphasis is on that dramatic change that, brought, that was brought about by the power of God. And that same power is still at work in the church today. We have to keep our eyes on the ball. We have to keep our eyes on the ball because this, again, is about the kingdom of God. The seed must die. That was Jesus on the cross. And from his death and resurrection come life. Listen to what he said in John chapter 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In the beginning, that little seed seems to be nothing. I would encourage you, if you have mustard seed at home, I keep a jar of mustard seeds in my office. No, I'm not. I do love mustard. I don't love it that much to plant my own tree. But it's there because of the importance of that mustard seed in the gospel. I want my life, I want my prayer life, I want my church to be like that jar of mustard seeds. It seems to be nothing. It seems harmless. It seems insignificant in all respects. But in the end, that little seed grows into this tree that will triumph over all that the kingdom of God will experience, has experienced and will continue to experience amazing God-sized results that what began as a small and insignificant little thing becomes the greatest. That when Christ returns, all the world will see that he overrides and supersedes all of the kingdoms on earth at that time in power, in glory, and majesty. Throughout all of time, there are nations that have risen, nations that have fallen, Kingdoms that have been established by men and rise to power seem to be extravagant and powerful. Yet what you and I must understand is that when Christ comes back, all those things, kingdoms will fall away. They will all fall away. He isn't coming for the United States of America. He's coming for his church. And every kingdom but the church will fall away. Only the church will last. Why? Because the church is his bride. 
and he gave his life for, her, for his bride. Our nation is decidedly post-Christian with the rest of Europe, which says this, can't we just move past this God thing? Can't we just move past all this God stuff, move past creation, move past the life stuff, get up past all this religious jargon? And yet, with that attitude prevailing over our nation, the church continues on. The church is rapidly growing in other parts of the world. Even in the face of all the church doesn't matter anymore, the church continues on. And we'll continue on so long as we keep spreading the light, so long as we keep showing the light and showing people who Jesus is and showing that Jesus has died on the cross for their sins. And that they would believe in him, they too would be forgiven and receive eternal life. Friends, God's kingdom will come, yet it will be God who's established it, it will be God who accomplished it, and it will be God who has finished his purpose. Why? How? When? The answer is in God's timing. Because he's God and he always finishes what he started. All right? It's what Paul said to the Philippians. He who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion at the day of Christ Jesus. But friends, it happens quietly. That's the mystery behind it. Progressively, not in a political, ideological, liberalism kind of way, but progression over time, it happens. It builds. And it will happen ultimately. When Christ returns, there is in this parable this truth of growth and, and grace and joy, and a celebration with all the birds who nest in its branches, all of the peoples of earth, every tribe, every language, every nation gathered under the branches of this great tree, of this great kingdom. It's encouraging to me to know that in all the work the church does, that God is working to make his kingdom grow. Everything is significant in the church. From beginning to end, it is the power of God at work. So let me conclude this morning by just saying this, that there will come a day when you will not be able to avoid the sickle. Listen to Revelation chapter 14. Another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. Friend, you want to be a part of the harvest. You want to be a part of the harvest. There is no shelter from the sickle. There is no shelter from Christ. But there is shelter in him. Don't run from him in fear. Rather, turn to him and run to him in faith. Thank you for listening today. For more information regarding Coastal Oaks Church, like service times, or what to expect upon your visit, go to our website at coastaloakschurch.org. May God bless you in the journey and the simple pursuit of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord.